I don't normally do this because I don't really see myself as a teacher, but um, it's just such an important subject that uh, I really felt to give it a, a lot of time and um, a lot of preparation. And uh, let's just pray before we begin. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, All scripture is inspired by God. All of it. Okay? And is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. So Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that all of it is inspired by you. None of it is inspired by man. Not a single word is from man. Men might have written it down, but it's all from you. It literally, it literally says, all scripture is breathed out by God. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that it shows us uh, who you are, shows us the way in which we are to walk. It teaches us about your kingdom. It teaches us about your wonderful plan of salvation for our lives teaches us about the enemy that we have it teaches us how to live a life of freedom and victory and fruitfulness in you we thank you for that what a privilege it is to have your word we we don't say it enough lord but we thank you many many lives have been lost to preserve this word over history people have given their lives and we thank you lord that uh, you've preserved your word over thousands of years and brought it to us today in the format that we can just walk down the road and buy a copy for ourselves. What a wonderful blessing that is. And I pray this morning that as we look at this topic of water baptism, that you would give revelation. I pray that everything that is from me would just fall to the ground and be lost, but everything that's from you, I pray that it would take root in our lives and, uh, and grow and bring fruit in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So you can follow along in your notes. Um, the, I've, I've put most of the scriptures in little speech bubbles. And right at the beginning, uh, you'll notice that I put there, all scriptures are quoted from the Christian Standard Bible. Now, James, if you can put up that second image, the next one, that one there, you'll see a list of Bibles going from one side which is more word-for-word -word, uh, translation, to very paraphrased. So the message, the MSG, is right on the very edge of paraphrased, which means it's been chewed through and it's basically been uh, interpreted for you so that you can just read it like a story. You hardly have to think. It just reads like a book. Now the other side, you've got the interlinear, which if you try and read that will cause you headaches because the word order is all over the place they use words that you may not understand and uh, it's pretty clunky to read it so generally somewhere in the middle has a good balance between the two so we've been preaching or we do preach normally out of the new living translation which is the blue arrow and the number six is the the level of english the grade level of english that that translation have aimed at. So it's aimed at grade six level English. What I'm preaching out of this morning is more word for word. It's more towards that side, but it's not too hectic. 
it's aimed at grade 7. If you take the ESV, for instance, it's aimed at grade 10. The amplified version is aimed at grade uh, 12, I think. The New American Standard, 11. The King James Version, 13, which is uni-level, because there's these and thus and thou and betwixt and words you don't even know what they mean anymore. So that's that's. Uh, so I've tried to go for something a little bit more uh, word for word and not as kind of chewed through um, this morning, but not so much so that we can't uh, we can't understand. And the reason we've done this, the reason we preach out of the NLT, is because probably a quarter of the church speak English as a second language at home. So we can't preach out of the ESV because. If you can't understand the scripture, it's got no power in your life. You might as well be reading a book in Swahili and not understanding a single word. That's how effective the Bible will be in your life if you don't understand what's being said. And so that's, that's why we've chosen to use the version that uh, we normally do, the NLT. But this morning, it's the CSB, which is the... Christian Standard Bible. It's a new Bible, and uh, well, newish, and um, yeah. So that's the reason why I've chosen that this morning. No other reason. Not because it's the Bible. There's no the Bible. Okay, they're all good translations. They're all have their uses. So we're going to look at the topic of water baptism this morning, and my personal opinion on this topic is that. Christians in general, worldwide, have very little understanding about what water baptism really means, what it is, why does God want us to do this. Um, the understanding is just very shallow. Excuse the pun. The Bible, however, paints a very different picture. So in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 to 3, it's written there, it says... Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about baptisms, plural, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. Just a little variation there. In the NLT, it says, we'll do this God willing. God does want everyone to go on into maturity. It is His will. But He doesn't permit it unless the foundation is laid properly. That's the difference. Okay? And so there's six foundation, uh, foundational doctrines that Hebrews 6 uh, lists. And baptisms, plural, is one of them. Okay? In fact, so that just means there's more than one baptism. In fact, in the New Testament, there are three baptisms. And uh, there's John's baptism, there's Christian baptism or baptism into Jesus, and there's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Okay, And today we're going to focus mainly on the second one, which is, we'll call it Christian baptism, shorter than baptism into Jesus Christ. Okay? Let me just first of all say something about the word baptize. It's a Greek word, and it's not really an English word. What happened with the word, uh, the Greek word baptizo is that it was transliterated. 
And transliteration means you take a, a word in a different language and you basically go letter for letter and put it into whatever language you want, like English. So, baptizo, baptize. Okay? Transliteration. There wasn't an English word. Actually, there was an English word for the meaning of baptizo, but they just took the word and made a new English word out of it. Now, why they did that could be because it was church tradition. It could be that the translators at the time who were, who were translating the King James Version of the Bible were too afraid of the Anglican church and the, the disruptions that it would cause. And so they just said, okay, we know what the word baptizo means, but we don't want to put it in the Bible because it's going to cause too many waves. So we'll just uh, transliterate it and make an English word out of it called baptize. The Greek word for baptizo means to immerse. Nothing else. It doesn't mean anything else. It means to immerse, submerge, dunk under, dip under, hold under. <laughs> it means that, okay? Sink. Huh? Sink. Drown, yeah, sink a ship, exactly. And actually, uh, there's a Greek poet and a doctor called Nysander. I don't think it's in your notes. But about 200 BC, this guy lived. So that's 200 years before Jesus. And he wrote about pickling vegetables, okay? And he said, what you do is you take your vegetable and you bapto it, dip it, into boiling water. And then you take it out and you baptizo it into vinegar, which means submerge, so that all the vinegar gets sucked into the vegetable and you've got a pickle. Okay? Now that's 200 years before this is written. And it's written by a Greek in Greek using the word baptizo. There's no, you can't make a pickle by sprinkling a vegetable or by doing anything else, you have to submerge it or immerse it. Amen. You can immerse in two ways. You can put something down into the water so that the water covers it or whatever liquid. Or you can pour water over it so that it totally engulfs it. Okay? And both ways are relevant in the New Testament but here's the thing. Both ways are total and not partial. So being baptized is not having water poured over my arm. It's total. It has to be your total body getting immersed. Okay? Or dunked under. You can't put a foot in the pool and pull it out and say, I got baptized. Only your foot got baptized. Okay? <laughs> Baptism is a transition. The whole of you moves from one state into another. Not part of you, all of you moves. You're not the same person after baptism. So let's just take a quick look at John's baptism, which is a baptism from John the Baptist. Now, his surname wasn't Baptist. He was just called that because he was, his main ministry was baptizing people in the Jordan River. That's where he gets the name from. So Mark chapter two, sorry, Mark chapter one, 
And I'm going to read from verse 2 to 5. Let me just turn there. I'm not sure if it's in your notes or not. I don't think it is, but I'll, I'll read it for you. Mark chapter 1 and verse 2 to 5. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were flocking to him. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. So John's baptism was a preparation for the ministry of Jesus. He was a forerunner. He came to prepare God's people for Jesus, to get their hearts right so that when Jesus came, the people were ready. That's the ministry of John the Baptist. It was a baptism in water into the forgiveness of sins. It was to prepare God's people by repentance. In a short period of time, John probably reached hundreds of thousands of people because it said all the people in the Judean countryside which was the state, uh, and all the people in Jerusalem. I mean, I don't know how many people there were at that time, but there could have been hundreds of thousands of people in that area. And they came to John to be baptized. That's interesting when you look at that. Doesn't God work in mysterious ways? I mean, how would we go? How would we reach hundreds of thousands of people? Well, we'd hire a big stadium. We'd get great music. Lights, we'd try and get some guest speaker who's known worldwide. That's how we're going to reach. What does God do? He picks a guy who's dresses in camel skins and eats locusts, sends him out into the desert, and then everybody has to go to the desert to go and meet him. <laughs> That's how God works. Totally different to the way we think things should be. Amen. It's unexpected, it's supernatural. Actually, where the fire of God is burning, people will go. John was a burning and a shining light. If you want to shine for Jesus, you have to burn. You have to. Otherwise, there's no light. Here's the thing with John's baptism is that it required three things. He required three things before he would baptize people. It was a baptism of repentance. It wasn't an emotional decision. It was, a, it was a decision people made. It wasn't just hype. It wasn't just people caught up in the moment. People genuinely were repenting before God. And then the second thing is that John demanded the public confession of sins. He wouldn't baptize people unless they confessed their sins. There's something about confessing sins that's incredibly powerful in our lives. When we hold back, and we keep things in the dark, we struggle in life. But when we confess our sins one to another, there's forgiveness, there's breakthrough, there's healing. I think sometimes we piled up our sins so high and we're struggling in areas in our lives and we're struggling under the weight of our sin because we haven't confessed them. And maybe 
You don't need to come up here publicly and say to the whole world, this is what I've done. But get alone with God and actually speak out and say, God, I'm confessing this as a sin. I'm actually saying that was wrong that I did. Not just God loves me and I just need to get closer to you. Confess your sins and see a breakthrough in that area. Repent and turn to God. And then the third thing is that John demanded evidence of a changed life. If there wasn't evidence of a changed life, he wouldn't baptize people. (laughs) They had to show fruit of repentance, particularly the religious people, the people who we would go, oh, my word, they're the first in line to get baptized. These are the leaders in the church. (laughs) And John called them a brood of vipers. You know, But let me just point something out here. It says that John baptized people into repentance, but he required them to have already repented before he baptized them. So it wasn't like you got baptized and repented while you were getting baptized. You had to have already repented and then get baptized. That's how it works. Okay. Remember that, because when we come to Christian baptism, there's a similar pattern. There's a baptism in water into repentance. In the Spirit, into one body. Remember that John's baptism was a forerunner and a preparation for the way for Jesus. When Christ enters the scene, John's baptism is going to fade away. Okay? So John, John actually said that he must become greater and I must become less. That's what John said. He wasn't, he wasn't worried about the fact that Jesus was starting to get more followers and people were leaving him when he had the hundreds of thousands at one stage. And then suddenly a bit later, John's disciples come to him and say, hey, what is leaving us? What's going on? I thought you were the guy. And John's like, no, no, one coming after me, he's the main guy. I've got to become less and he's got to increase. John's baptism had limitations in that it it didn't produce new birth. It was a preparation for Jesus. Matthew 11, verse 11, in the ESV, says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, men and women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So among those born of men and women, John's the greatest. But the very least of those who are born again is greater than John the Baptist. His baptism didn't produce new birth. After Pentecost, the baptism of John was no longer received as sufficient. Acts chapter 19, verse 1 to 6. Acts 19, verse 1 to 6. Paul found some disciples and he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And then Paul says, Into what have you been baptized then? And they said, Into John's baptism. They replied. And then Paul says, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people They should believe in the one who would come after him. John was pointing to Jesus. He's the main guy. 
He's the guy that's important. That is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to speak in other tongues and prophesy. So Paul didn't view John's baptism as sufficient. He was like, no, you've got to be baptized into Jesus. And he did such a thorough job. He laid his hands on them and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit as well. So so that's John's baptism. Let's have a look at Christian baptism. Being baptized as a believer in Jesus. And this is something that's far more important than I think what many of us realize. Let me just start by saying, you are not baptized into Jesus because you're a sinner. You're baptized because you're a believer. Yeah. If you're you're just a sinner that doesn't believe and you get baptized, you go into the water a wet sinner and you, sorry, a dry sinner and you come up a wet sinner. (laughs) Nothing will change other than the wetness of your clothes. That's, That's because this actually isn't a baptism of repentance. So let's have a look at the nature of Christian baptism. Matthew chapter 3, we're going to read verse 13 to 17. Matthew chapter 3. And verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him. Why do you think that is? He said, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. Because John's thinking, hey, what I'm doing as a baptism of repentance, what do you need to repent of? Nothing. I need to be baptized by you. You're you're living a more righteous life than I am. (laughs) But Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him to be baptized. And after Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. How do you do that? Unless you first go down under the water. Just logical. That's how I read the Bible. You can't come up out of water unless you first went down into water. Amen. The heavens suddenly opened for him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming down on him. And there came a voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son, and I take delight in him. This is not a baptism of repentance because Jesus had nothing to repent of. He wasn't baptized with John's baptism. And he says, let it be done. Let us do this because it's going to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is not saying he needs to repent. He's actually identifying himself with fallen humanity. And that's why he says it's necessary for us. Christian baptism is a baptism to fulfill all righteousness. It's not a baptism of repentance. You've already repented. When you get baptized, it's to complete all righteousness. You've already been justified through your faith. 
declared not guilty. And so we get baptized not to be made righteous. We've already been made righteous. We get baptized to complete that work of righteousness, to fulfill it. And water baptism is the appropriate way to complete this righteousness. The interesting thing is I think in, in, in church circles we've, we've kind of missed this thing because even we've done it saying, hey, we've got a baptismal service happening in a week's time. Anyone that wants to get baptized, come and put your name down. They never did that in the New Testament. <laughs> they never did it. Baptism was something that was immediate. It was something that was urgent. They saw it as something critical in their faith, in their walk with God. And it's not about whether believers want to do it or not. In fact, in one area, Peter commanded Cornelius' house to be baptized. He commanded it. Christian baptism is essentially a commitment to the Lord. It's an identification with Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. Let's have a look at Romans chapter 6. In verse 3 to 5. I think it's in your notes. Romans 6 verse 3 to 5. Paul is writing to Christians here. And he says here, he says, Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. For if we've been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the, in the likeness of his resurrection. We died with Jesus. We've been buried with Jesus. And we've been raised again to a new life in Jesus. That's what baptism symbolizes and identifies with us. You die, you go down into a watery grave, and someone else pulls you up out of that grave. Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead. Do you know that? He went into the grave and he waited for God to raise him from the dead. And it's the same thing. Fortunately, we've got loving people here that when you're baptized, they actually pull you out again. <laughs> Otherwise, you just lie there. <laughs> That's what baptism symbolizes. That's why it's an immersion in water. It's symbolizing us, our old self, dying and being buried and us coming up out of that grave to live a brand new life in Christ. Not the same as what happened before. It's totally new. Can you see how the act of baptism identifies us with Christ in that way? It's, an, it's acting out publicly our commitment to Jesus. It should never be done in private. And I know there's an example in, uh, in Acts where an Ethiopian was baptized on his own. But he was just desperate. He saw the urgency of it. And he said, look, there's water. What's stopping me from getting baptized right now? And he just did it. Because he was just, it was that important to him. 
but it, sh it shouldn't be a problem to do it publicly and say, hey, I'm taking a stand for Jesus. I'm not ashamed of Jesus, and I want to be identified with Jesus in this way. I want to be identified with his death, burial, and resurrection. I want the world to know I'm living a new life for Jesus. The old is gone, it's buried, and now I'm a new creation in Jesus. That's baptism. And there's a principle here that I think God uses in that, I mean, these figures, I'm just pulling them out of the head. It's something like you remember 30% of what you hear. You remember 60% of what you hear and see, and you remember 90% of what you hear, see, and do. That's why it's a physical act. It's something that we can remember, we can always point back to. That's the day I died and came up a new person to live for God. When the devil attacks, well, go and attack that dead person. I'm a new creation in Jesus. Go and tempt my old body, that old body of flesh there. It's buried. It's done with. Once you've been buried and raised again, your new life does not belong to you. If you want to go on living how you were living before you gave your life to Jesus, don't get baptized. Don't. <laughs> In the Great Commission, let's just turn there. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 to 20. Matthew 28. Verse 19, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the earth. Notice Jesus never said, Go and make church members. <laughs> He said, go and make disciples. And when you've made disciples, baptize them. And then teach them. I think sometimes we get all the order wrong, wrong way around. We spend hours and hours and days and months teaching people who actually don't want to be disciples. They don't want to be baptized. They don't want to be obedient to God. They don't want to do that very first step. And we spend ages teaching, teaching, teaching. <laughs> Whereas the, Jesus said, go and make disciples and then baptize those disciples and then teach them. Because <laughs> now you're working with a people who are obedient to God. And I still love all of you. <laughs> Just so you know that. Baptism is a commitment to discipleship. Jesus said, baptize them first and then teach them. So the requirements for Christian baptism. What are the requirements? Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. We're going to read verse 15 and 16. Where is Mark? There we go. Then he said to them, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, 
but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So the first thing is the preaching of the gospel has got to happen. People have to hear the gospel before they can be baptized. We can't just go out there and just baptize people. You know, walk over, walk over the road to the neighbor there and say, you need to be saved. I'm going to baptize you. They've got to hear the gospel first. Okay? We have no right to baptize people who have not heard or believed the gospel. And that brings us to the second point is people have to believe the gospel. It's no good just hearing the gospel. They've got to believe it. Go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Okay? I'm going to say something controversial. You take this however you want. Jesus never gives a guarantee of salvation to those who just believe without being baptized. Okay? You go check it out. That's what I said earlier. Don't just believe what I say. Go and check it out. You've got the notes. Go look it up. Search the scriptures and see for yourselves. You might believe something different. That's your choice. You can play Russian roulette with theology, (laughs) but I'm not going to. If Jesus said those who believe and are baptized will be saved, if he said it, it's good for me. Okay. I'll just do it. I'm not going to go, well, I've got other ideas, and what about this, that, and the next thing. If Jesus said it, I just obey it. Okay. Third thing is, is that a person must have repented first. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38, they've had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Peter stands up with the twelve, and they preach to the crowd. The crowd are cut to the heart, and then they say this, um, Brothers, what should we do? What should we do to be saved? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, all of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. People must have repented before they get baptized. It's an outward working of what's already happened in your life. It's the same thing as John's baptism. He wouldn't baptize people unless they first have shown fruit of repentance. But it was a baptism into repentance. But they had to have repented first. It's the same thing with Christian baptism. We have to have repented first before we get baptized. Let me say something else that's controversial. I'm going to get myself into trouble here. All right, having had a look at these three requirements, it's pretty obvious you cannot baptize an infant. Still love me? I'm just trying to preach the word. Don't shoot me. I'm the messenger. (laughs) Because an infant hasn't repented. An infant hasn't believed, and an infant hasn't understood the gospel. And I know there's scriptures that say, well, this guy in his old household got baptized. 
but it doesn't say how old they were. They could have all been adults. Okay? There isn't another type of baptism mentioned in the Bible, especially for infants. I was christened as a child, but I got baptized as a believer by immersion when I was 19. And the other thing is that teaching about baptism doesn't have to take a long length of time. And you don't have to wait until you get your life right with God. I need, well, I've heard this teaching. I need to wait six months now. The Bible says, these guys called out to Peter, what must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized. And it looks like on that day they baptized 3,000 people and added them into the life of the church. Later on, you read about Cornelius. They were baptized after hearing the, the gospel. The jailer with Paul baptized that night, didn't even wait for morning, got baptized, him and his whole household, that night. That's how urgent it was for these new believers back in the New Testament. There's no waiting. And I think, I, I just think when you look at Scripture, you see the urgency about baptism. We've lost something of that today. We definitely have. Baptism has become like an optional extra. Well, I bought the car. Do I want electric windows or don't I? It's not like that. Do you want wheels on your car? <laughs> it's more like that. Electric windows, well, they're nice to have. Wheels are critical. <laughs> Do you want a steering wheel? <laughs> or not? Imagine if that was an option. Uh, I don't know. How much is a steering wheel? You know, you, you have to have a steering wheel. You have to be baptized as a believer. <laughs> That's the urgency I see in the New Testament. What about the spiritual significance of baptism? Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 to 5. I think it's in your notes there. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We've read this before. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that Christ, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul starts that and he says, are you un or are you unaware? In other versions, it says, don't you know? And often when the Bible says, don't you know, it turns out most of us don't know. <laughs> Baptism is an act that unites us with Christ through identification. When we get baptized, we're identifying with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. It's also... The outward process for reckoning ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. No longer to be slaves to sin. When Jesus died on the cross, our sinful nature, our carnal nature was crucified with him. That old nature, that rebel inside of us was put to death. And that, this is the thing that, that, that keeps coming back to me is that the only solution... For that sinful nature in us is crucifixion. We sometimes think, well, I need to take my sinful nature to counseling. 
I need to improve it somehow. I need to get it to be good. You can't. That's why Jesus said, pick up your cross daily. Put it to death. That's the only thing you can do with it. Amen? You can't reform your sinful nature. It has to be put to death. And Paul says, you have to know that. And he says, reckon that you are dead to sin and alive to God. And the outward process for that is water baptism. In baptism, we are burying that crucified sinful nature. To, uh, Colossians chapter 2, you've got it in your notes, verse 11 to 13. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands, by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ, when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us our trespasses. Under Jewish law, all the men at the, uh, eight, uh, on eight days old had to be circumcised, which is removing a small portion of their flesh. In Christ, that sinful nature is cut off from us. It's circumcision of the heart. And the picture I like to picture is like before Jesus, we're in the straitjacket. And you can't get out of the straitjacket. No matter what you're trying to do, you're a slave to sin. And there's nothing you can do to get free from this jacket that binds you. Okay? But when you come to Jesus, there's a circumcision that takes place, a cutting, a cutting away. And that straitjacket has its whatever's cut off. And so now you can take that jacket off. And in Galatians, it says you can put on Christ. Like a garment. You, you now in Jesus are truly free to choose. What do you want to put on? That old sinful nature? You want to put that jacket back on? Or do you want to throw it off and bury it and put on Jesus? Out of decency, get baptized. Because if you've got a dead body lying around, what's the decent thing to do? Bury it. You don't just leave a dead body lying on the floor. You bury dead bodies. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Galatians 3 verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We've been raised into this new life where we put on Jesus like a garment. And as we do that, that nature of God starts seeping into our lives. And then we work out what God works into us. That's what it means by working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out what God is putting into you. As he pours in his divine nature, you work it out. By keeping that jacket of Jesus on and not going back. And going, oh, the devil, oh, he makes my old life look so good. Remember how great it was when you used to go out drinking and clubbing and partying and smoking and swearing and going and doing all these things. Remember how good you felt? And you go, oh, yes. Wouldn't you like to feel that again? Let me put on that old jacket again. Wow, that feels good. But it produces death in us. There's a decaying. There's a corrosion 
of what God has done in your life. And he's saying, put that off and put on Jesus. Praise God, we've been circumcised. Amen. Praise God, we've been freed. The more I think about it, the more I'm convinced that free will is something only Christians can truly operate in. Because an unbeliever can't operate in free will. They can't choose. Yeah, they can choose whatever sin they want to do, but they're a slave to sin. They can't choose God because they're in this jacket that all they can do is sin. We can choose Jesus or the flesh. <laughs> we, we've actually got a restoration of the free will that God originally intended for us. But let's use it to serve Jesus. Let's use it to embrace Jesus and live for Him. Amen? Your old nature has been crucified, so bury it. Bury your body in baptism. Now, let me say something else that's really important. What are we baptized into? Into Jesus, not into a denomination, ever. Okay? This is a serious error in the church today. Well, unless you get baptized, you're not recognized as a member of this denomination. We won't marry you. Your kids can't come to our school. And we won't bury you. Yeah, it's true. That's not in Scripture. If, if the church that I go to says that, I don't want anything to do with that church. I want to leave it and say, you take your doctrines that you've made up, and I'm going to follow what's in the Bible. We are only baptized into Jesus. Never a church, never a denomination. It's totally unbiblical. Let me just wrap this up with two pictures of baptism from the Old Testament. The first one is the picture of Noah's Ark. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. I think it's in your notes. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Once again, baptism saves you. Hmm? <laughs> Rattling your cages a bit, getting you to think, getting you to go home, read the scriptures for yourself. But here's a picture of Noah's ark. It says that God waited patiently while Noah was building. I wonder if he knew how serious the building of the ark actually was, or whether he had a day where he was like, oh, yeah, I'm so tired today, I got splinters, I broke my hammer, I did this and that, I'll give it a break today. And God's waiting patiently <laughs> because the waters of judgment are coming against the entire earth and only those in the ark are going to be saved. That's the picture of Noah's ark. All the earth are going to be judged. The waters, and the only way to pass safely through the waters of judgment, of God's judgment, is to be in the ark, which is in Jesus. And Peter says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. <clears throat> if you believe, you must be baptized. Why? Because the book of James says 
that faith without action is dead. Even the demons believe. But they don't act in faith. If you say you believe, act it out. Have an action that backs up what you believe. So this is what I believe. I, I believe that faith in God saves you. Faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross saves you. But if you don't have actions, you saying you believe is worthless. It's meaningless. Amen? <laughs> it's faith and actions. And then it says in verse 21 of 1 Peter 3, it says, Baptism, which now corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Something else baptism does for us is that we can stand before God with a good conscience and say, I've actually done the things you've asked me to do. Instead of standing before God and going, ooh, there's a couple of things I haven't done, Lord. I'm sorry, but I love you. And, you know, I've kind of done a few things right. Hopefully 50% is the pass mark around here. <laughs> what was the secret question to get into heaven again? I've forgotten. No, we can stand before God with a good conscience and say, God, I've done this. You said, you said believe and be baptized. I've done that. <laughs> I've got a good conscience. And then the second thing, that was Noah's Ark. The second example from the Old Testament is Egypt. And we're ending with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 to 2. Once again, Paul says, Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You see there, there's two baptisms, in the cloud from above and in the sea, going through the Red Sea. And it says all were baptized, the entire nation. All the people of God were baptized in the cloud and in the sea. All of them. I think verse 6 says these things happened as examples for us to look at today. I'm sure it says that in verse 6. Every Israelite passed through these two experiences. The cloud coming over them from above and passing through the waters of the Red Sea. Every single person. Baptism is not just for some believers. It's for all believers. And here's the interesting thing is that the water cut them off from Egypt. The blood saved them in Egypt. The water cut them off from Egypt. When, in, when they were in Egypt, they, they, they sacrificed a lamb, every family put the blood on the doorposts and that kind of thing. That saved them. And they were, they were set free out of the land of Egypt by the mighty hand of God. But it wasn't until they crossed the Red Sea that it actually cut them off from their enemy. And I want to say this, is that I seriously think we have no idea how powerful the act of baptism is in terms of seeing victory in our lives. When we're not baptized, we're just constantly struggling, getting attacked and attacked and attacked. Why? Because Egypt is right there. 
But when you pass miraculously through baptism, and you can only do that by faith, you come out on the other side in a new life where you've been cut off from Egypt. And the Egyptians try to do the same thing without faith. And what happened to them? Drowned. <laughs> Don't ever try baptism without faith. The person might slip and whoop, leave you under. I don't know. <laughs> I'm joking. We'll never do that. <laughs> I'll make sure Joe helps me. He has a strong grip on you. Okay? <laughs> That's how we go to Altona. The waves aren't so big. Otherwise, we go, woof, whoa, where did the guy go? <laughs> he gets washed up in Geelong or somewhere. <laughs> Altona's nice and flat. Okay, But there is something in this that, that the blood saves you from Egypt, but the water cuts you off. And you know what's interesting is that we go into Cambodia and a lot of uh, eastern nations. And here's the interesting thing is that when, when some of the local guys get saved, they put their hand up, yes, they come and they say a prayer, receiving Jesus into their life. Their family are like, nah, it's not a big deal. When they say they want to get baptized in water, end of story. They're actually kicked out of their homes over and over and over again. Why is that? Oh, it's just a ceremony. No, it is extremely powerful. The devil doesn't want this to happen. He wants Christians to go, yeah, put up your hand. No problem. I mean, he's not happy for that to begin with. But if he can just make get you to put up your hand and not respond in baptism, he knows he can still keep having a good go at you all the time. And I'm not saying when you've been baptized, you're never going to have hassles again because they did have hassles when they got into the promised land. The enemy tried to take back the inheritance over there. So it's not a trouble-free life by any means, but there is a cutting off from Egypt. There is a major, major breakthrough that happens in baptism. When it says we're, they were baptized into Moses, it's just they were baptized under Moses' leadership. Moses was their leader. When we're baptized, we're baptized into Jesus. He becomes our leader. He gets to drive. He gets to take the wheel. He gets to say what you do and don't do. If you don't want that, don't get baptized. If you go, well, I want to be saved, but I want to live how I want, don't get baptized. You get baptized into Christ. No longer I that live, you that live, Lord. Hebrews 11, verse 29, the last scripture with, with regards to Egypt. I don't think it's there. But it says, by faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. And when the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. I mentioned it before. It's only by faith they crossed over into a whole new life where they met God on the mountain. And he gave them their laws and all this incredible stuff. Water, provision from the rock, manna every day. That was the new life they entered into after baptism. It's wonderful. <laughs> Next Sunday, we're going to be baptizing people in Altona. If you're a believer, I want to encourage you as strongly as I can. I'm not going to command you like Peter. But, but I want to, as strongly as I can, say, get baptized. Yeah. Just do it. Do it in faith and say, God, 
I want to live for you. I want, I want to be identified with you. I want to bury that old self and I want to be raised up into a whole new way of living with you at the helm, with you driving the car. I'm tired of driving the car myself. It's hard trying to navigate this life. I'd rather have Jesus driving. Amen. All you need to do is come next week with your bathers, with a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, and come and meet us down in Altona Beach. And we'll baptize as many people as needs to be baptized. If you're a believer, if you've heard the gospel, and if you've repented. That's the conditions. If that's you, get baptized. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. It's, <laughs> it's urgent. It really is. Amen. Let's close in prayer.